1: You are listening to the Tuesday, November 21st edition of His Radio. My name is Pat Corain on Twitter at Pat And with me in this episode will be Sean Siegel on Twitter at FF underscore Contrarian and Peter Overzet on Twitter at Peter Overzet. We're going to get to uh, that segment here in just a minute. We did basically the whole episode as just one segment. But before we do so, just wanted to remind you quickly that you can get a listeners only 30% discount to a His NFL pass through the NFL podcast homepage, rotavis.com slash podcast. That'll give you unlimited access to all of our NFL content, and it'll also help support the pod. You can also help support the pod by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes. You've got the Rotovis Radio feed as one option, and also the Rotovis Fantasy Football Show as another option, which is a little bit pared down. Uh, You can also contact us at any time via Twitter at Rotovis Radio or on email rotavisradio at gmail.com. All right, let's get to this episode. just going to be me, Pete, and Sean talking about week 11 and uh, some other fun stuff. So without further ado, let's get into it. Please welcome to the show, Peter Overzet. He's the man behind Pete Manzanelli, the host of Fantasyland, and my FFPC co-host, uh, and, and my travel buddy is we recently just wrapped up a trip to Nashville, going to the draft live event there over the weekend. Um, my first event, Pete's first live event as well. So, Pete, welcome to the show, and let's start there. What are your uh, takeaways from our Nashville trip?
2: Uh, my takeaways are I'm glad it was only two nights because I wouldn't have survived any more nights with an open bar at that rate.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. We We just came in for Saturday morning. Um, and then we stayed Saturday night. I ended up staying Sunday night as well, which is kind of a last minute decision on my end, and then you you snuck out of there Sunday evening after the four o'clock games ended. So, yeah, uh, you one you probably feel a little bit fresher than I do.
2: yeah, one of us made an adult decision and went back home to get ready for work the next day. and the other one of us made a not adult decision, and I actually still haven't heard, but I'm probably I probably need to hear off air.
1: <laughs> no, it, it it didn't end up being too unadult. I mean, the uh, not to get too in the weeds here on logistics, but I actually was able to get home quicker than if I had if I uh had left when you did, because I would have been doing a little stopover in in Boston before heading back to New York. So, I think actually I did make an adult decision. It involved more drinking. But it was still an adult decision, so
2: well, that's why the the people tune into this not to figure out who they should be trading for uh for their playoff push, but rather the trains, planes, and automobile logistics <laughs> of us
1: It is thanksgiving time, right so it, it feels apt um but yeah from the from the event itself, I mean, did anything jump out i i uh I certainly thought it was a really fun experience, and uh you know we were there not because we qualified but because we were getting some audio for Fantasyland and kind of covering the experience of of being in a live event for that podcast. But um, what what were your takeaways from the event itself?
2: Yeah, I just thought it was cool. You know, you always hear about the live finals and, you know, the main event is people just going to sweat their teams together because they're building lineups in their room. But with the draft format, they did the draft on Saturday night where everybody, you know, made their pick. So you kind of get two events out of it you know, picking the players and then Sunday, you know, sweating them. So I think as far as kind of on the other DFS providers draft kind of has a leg up just on the experience they can offer for their live finals because they kind of get uh, two birds with one stone there. And it's it was a blast to uh, get to watch those guys draft. And then uh, our friends Dan Bach and David Kitchen were kind of doing live commentary uh, while the draft was going on. So it was a it was a really good experience and it really sets up well for a, a fun eventful weekend.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um let's let's talk about kind of pivot over here to the other uh high stakes event that that you and I have participated in, the FFPC. Um we just wrapped up our season there. Uh, I just re I just read the article that you put together uh capping our our the end of our season because the playoffs have started and we once again did not make them. Um what what are your kind of takeaways from our disappointing team for the second year in a row See, there, yeah it's... there
3: are a lot of crying jordans on the, <laughs> the headline image for this
2: yeah uh can we also welcome sean siegel to the program oh, I yeah. don't even... <laughs> hey sean yeah sean, we just figured we'd just kind of sit sean in the corner and just have him uh, listen to us talk for for a <laughs> half hour <laughs> No, yeah. Sean Sean has graciously, I think, been one of the few guys that have been editing those articles. I'm always afraid. I had told Sean, I got an editorial comment on one of them, and I'm always afraid that they're going to be like, okay, this is the one we're not putting up on the site. But somehow they've all sneaked through there. Uh, yeah, this this season has been just every time i go to write it it's just like what awful thing happened what you know i try i would try to find some reason for enthusiasm each week but yeah it this season played out a lot like our season did last year where you know structurally we built the the team we wanted to and then you know within that structure our player evaluations or whatever randomness to injury you know just didn't work out and we ended up having so many whiffs i think this year was especially frustrating because our zero RB you know, plan in a lot of ways worked. I mean, we probably have the best league winner that you can get this year. Alvin Kamara on our team. You know, we have Rex Burkhead who I think is going to still finish strong down the stretch. We had guys like Kenyon Drake, Aaron Jones before the injury. You know, we executed zero RB on the RB side pretty well. Even Tevin Coleman, who was giving us value, you know, before uh, Devonta Freeman got hurt and then a big game last night. So all those things were going to plan. It was just the whole other part of it. The wide receivers and the pass catchers that that went to shit you know to put it bluntly so you know it's frustrating but I still think we did what we sought out to do which was have a you know a high upside volatile team and in the flip side of that coin is it is it can go wrong quickly and and that's what happened
3: so the worst part for me I've been rooting for you guys the whole way um, and disappointed that you won't win the league the money with that obviously the the grand prize, which you know, like you said if if you could have just made it a little bit further, but the most disappointing part for me is that this article won't um uh, won't be on the site for the next several weeks it's just a hilarious read anybody who who wants to see you know how you do funny fantasy football writing, I would encourage you to jump in there, but your season ended both years in Mexico City that kind of <laughs> gets us back to Uh, the issue you were talking about there, it wasn't the running back aspect of Zero RB that got you in trouble, uh, but maybe a particular pass catcher in specific.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it was, you know, from repeatedly reading articles on the site, you know, this one Mr. FF Contrarian having Amari Cooper as Mm -hmm. his Top dynasty player, you know, couldn't ever get that out of our heads. Always chasing that breakout. So yeah, back to back years we have drafted Amari Cooper, and uh, you're to blame, Sean.
3: <laughs> that, that does seem that does seem accurate. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
2: I, no. Yeah, it and you know it, it wasn't just a Amari. I mean, we did get, you know, a couple spiked weeks from him. It was really the injuries that killed us too. You know, Odell, back on our first round pick, Jordan Reed our third and Allen Robinson our fifth who, you know, combined gave us maybe two good weeks. Uh that that just really kills you because as you well know, uh, we're trying to get the, the the wide receiver firepower there to kind of buoy you until the volatility hits at running back and and like I said, the running back volatility it did break in our direction very quickly, and then we didn't have the wide receiver firepower to go. I mean, we've been deciding who to start between Nelson Aguilar and and Corey Davis, and you know they're Paul they're, they're fun. Paul Richardson. Uh, but yeah, none of those guys that we thought we could rely on there. And um, yeah, we've been starting four running backs the past two or three weeks, which is hilarious considering how we built our team. But yeah, I, I think it just goes to show that it is, you know, a volatile strategy and it it's not always going to hit on the high range and it's often going to hit on the low range there.
3: Well, I think that Anytime you lose three of your main players in Beckham, Cooper, and Robinson to injury, it's going to be very difficult to make the playoffs. Robinson, I think, is especially heartbreaking in some ways. You got him at a very good price. He was not going to have the massive bounce back that we've seen from DeAndre Hopkins. There was no uh, Deshaun Watson riding in to, to save the day there and turn him back into the superstar he was. On the other hand, Marquise Lee has had you know, not a a breakout star season by any stretch, but he's had a solid season. Uh, And within the context of that, it seems like Robinson would have turned in very good points for you. Looking at the other two guys, what, and and Pat, jump in here too. What's the takeaway on, on drafting them? We had some concern with Beckham at the time of the draft injury wise, the injury that actually knocked him out, I believe is unrelated, even though it's a similar area. Uh, Jordan Reed, Not someone who is necessarily injured at the time of the draft, but someone who has, you know, certainly one of the top injury risks in the game. With In in a format like this, where four of the 12 teams make the playoffs, so a pretty high percentage, uh, certainly for a high-stakes format, but a pretty high percentage of the teams make the tournament. You talked in your article about not going with an early tight end next year. Compare the takeaway of not going with early tight end versus perhaps injured players and, and, you know, read if he stays healthy. The reason you take him in the first place is that especially in this format, but across formats, he is going to be a player who really tilts the field for you a, a wide receiver and, and a top end wide receiver at the tight end position where it's more difficult to get points. You know, however, you know, you can go with a zero or having to fill in, you know, pretty low end tight ends the whole season there. What's the contrast between the tight end portion of it and the injury portion of
1: it? I think for me, like comparing Beckham to Reed, I actually don't really have any regrets with the Beckham injury. I mean, he didn't really cost us that much in the beginning. I mean, certainly we went 0-5, so he wasn't helping us. But um, I think that, you know, it wasn't like we went 0-5 because of Beckham. If, you know, he hadn't broken his ankle which I would say was kind of an unrelated thing to what you know was going on we drafted him so if that hadn't happened then he could have been you know actually the firepower down the stretch that we really needed at wide receiver and I think what the difference for me with Beckham versus Reed is kind of the stability of the projections with a guy like Beckham I think we're just we're just better able to project what he's going to produce compared to the tight end position, which the volatility there, I think, is, is what we're struggling with when we're we're thinking about taking a tight end early again. Um, it's kind of, like, against the tenets of, of zero running back to some degree because, like, we're avoiding running backs early because they're harder to project or they're getting injured more often, and then we just take tight ends, which are also hard to project, and we took one who is famous for getting injured often. So I think for me, like, I think the read pick – process wise wasn't wasn't a great move whereas the Odo Beckham pick actually um, certainly was risky but given just kind of his top end production that he's shown uh, basically since he entered the league um, I, I felt like he the, the stability of his projection was worth taking that that injury risk on
3: take me through some of the other things that you guys saw going through the process for the second year. Uh, your own league, obviously following some of the, you know, doing scoreboard watching across leagues because that could potentially come into play in the grand prize portion of the competition. Are there any things that you have seen or learned from participating in the league that would change your approach for next year?
2: It's so hard to to know how much of it is, what are, you know, current trends uh, that are just happening in the league and and people were in the right spot to, to capitalize on that or, or how much of it was, you know, say a flaw in our approach or, or kind of inefficiencies that we have and how we approach it. I know Pat and I have talked a little bit. I think something that we need to do better at, and I mentioned this in the article was thinking ahead a little bit more at defense and trying to maybe play a week ahead. I I've noticed a lot of some of the, the best teams do that, or some of them even carry two defenses, which you can get into whether that's smart. Hard or not, but I think we often found ourselves, you know, having to pay up a little more to get a better defensive streamer. And that's something I want to look at a little closely. You know, I think it, like in a lot of my leagues now, I don't play with kickers and defenses. So when I am in the FFPC, I don't feel as sharp there. And I think people who are more comfortable navigating those waters can get an edge and I think that's a place where you know we've just we we focus so much on our running backs wide receiver tight ends that both our quarterback streaming defense streaming and even kicker streaming I think has taken a hit a little bit or at least not received the amount of tension that it attention it deserves in proportion to the weekly results so that would be something I would really want to focus on more next year as kind of bigger picture. you know streaming strategy with those onesie positions we're not investing a lot in but then we need to be able to make up more ground with them in the regular season
1: yeah and i think one of the things that that jumped out to me was how quickly any running backs basically with a pulse get snapped up but as the bye weeks really come through um and start you know taking a toll tight ends actually start to become available um i think i think players start to start to realize that you know having that tight end who you're not going to start much isn't really all that valuable and getting the upside of those running backs who could pop on your roster is still very valuable so people are less likely to drop running backs I think more likely to drop kind of the lesser but still streamable groups of tight ends and that's another reason why you know, you know, as we're looking to next year, we're thinking, well, maybe we don't want to go tight end early because even if we end up with someone we don't really like or we have kind of a gross committee to start the year, I think we can fill in not just with serviceable kind of week to week plays, but you know, we were able to scoop up OJ Howard a couple weeks ago. He became available, and you know, coming down the stretch here, uh, we actually started him this <laughs> this week as our is our tight end um, because Austin Saffir, and Jenkins had a bye and and Jordan Reed was out, so. I think we're you're kind of able to piece tight end a little bit uh, a little bit together more than I thought or more than I think we even realized last year, um, which again probably makes it less important to take that that uh, those top end picks and use them on tight end.
3: Larry Andrews had an article on the site discussing actually our, our pod last week where we had Russell Clay on. he talked about how wide receiver scoring is down. Uh, I mentioned or we mentioned that the touchdowns from the top wide receivers were down. So that was actually creating a situation where, even based on their expected points, you know, you, you had those, those top guys, and, and usually they're up there because they are both getting a large volume and then outperforming that volume. But because the touchdowns are down, they weren't doing that. Blair pointed out that sort of across the board, the targets for wide receivers are down so the scoring is down. He also talked about how scoring is just down in general and a variety of trends along those lines that perhaps are not sustainable. Obviously, one of the reasons why scoring would be down is because the you know raft of quarterback injuries across the league. In the FFPC format, a cool format, you start two running backs, two wide receivers, and then you have two flexes, and a tight end is maybe viable for that with the tight end premium. Among the teams, you know, either in your division or your league or sort of across the board, how do you see teams playing that this year in terms of their two-flex spots? Where, what position are they tending to go with there?
2: It's, you know, it, it's a mix that I've seen. I know our draft was was very running back heavy, and most teams had loaded up with three or four running backs by, you know, the sixth or seventh round, so... Uh, you know, as the season has gone on and injuries and, and waiver wire pickups has, have emerged, I think it's been a little bit more balanced. But at least at the start, you could tell, at least in our league, the, the strategy was to to start as many starting running backs at, as you could in the flex.
1: All right, we'll be back with more from Pete after this quick break. Fantasy football fans, listen up. If you love fantasy football, then you need to try my new favorite app, Draft. Here's how it works: You do a draft that lasts for just one week, and there's no management. Just set it and forget it. Once you're done drafting, that's it. No trades, no waiver wire. Draft even takes care of last-minute injuries for you. Drafts start every couple minutes, so you could join one right now. And the best part? You play for cold hard cash. Drafts start from just one dollar, so there's a draft for everyone. There's no salary caps, so you play in real-life snake drafts, just like you would with your friends in a season-long league. So come in, join me, draft against me on Draft Today. Download the app anytime. Just search Draft in your app store and join a game in minutes or play right from your computer on PlayDraft.com, whatever you want. For a limited time only, all new players get a free entry into a draft when you make your first deposit. But you have to use the promo code RVRADIO. That's right. That's right. Play a real money game for free just for using my promo code RV radio on your first deposit on draft. Just search draft in the app store or go to playdraft.com and come play free with promo code RV radio.
3: Okay, well, let's move on to some Week 11 results. Look at some of the, the team play. Uh, another very interesting week, starting out with the Titans and the Steelers. And uh, Marcus Mariota you know, actually put up a decent fantasy score, but through all those interceptions, the Titans looked terrible. Uh, we had our uh, Zero RB article, The Watch List, that Court Smith has been writing, doing an excellent job on talking about the AFC out yesterday, he was lamenting the fact that Derek Henry is not getting a little more run considering that DeMarco Murray is definitely in the negative in terms of fantasy points over expectation. So based on the touches that he is getting in the running game, he is underperforming what an average back would do. The problem is that Henry is also slightly underwater. And then Henry has been a zero in the passing game. I mean, you can look at the numbers. You can tell that from volume. Uh, You watch the games, and he looks so uncomfortable out there. He looks completely stiff in every aspect of the game, and only when he has sort of a big hole to run through uh, does he look comfortable as an NFL running back. Uh, Should the Titans be getting Henry some more touches? What can they do to sort of spice up an offense that, that appears to have a lot of talent and a quarterback we all love but just really struggling at this point?
2: Yeah, the interesting... Thing to, I think everybody in fantasy, you know, the, what, what do we call it, the fantasy wanting, I think we all want Derrick Henry to have a shot at that backfield. But like you said, if, if he hasn't been, you know, efficient with his touches, I don't think he's given, you know, the fully compelling reason to the Titans offense to to give him you know completely bench Murray and give him a full starters workload what's really interesting to me is when I go to the buy low machine and I'm looking at weeks 15 and 16 the Titans have the best schedule for running backs they get San Francisco in the Rams and I'm sitting here with my dynasty and keeper league trade le- deadlines coming up here on Thursday and I'm wondering you know I, I don't think I'm going to be able to acquire Derrick Henry for a good price uh, in those formats but I'm wondering How much do I have to pay to get Demarco Murray? Because if this split continues, you know he he could score easily two touchdowns in you know that San Francisco week and and carry you into the to the championship game. So yeah, as much as you know, I think we all want Derrick Henry to to fully take over and just see what he could do with twenty touches a game it just seems like they're so entrenched with this split. That's, you know, whether it's 60, 40 or seven, 70, 30 in DeMarco's favor that at least for season long, I think I just would rather, uh, trust that things are going to continue how they have and, and try to target DeMarco.
3: It really is just all about the receiving play at the running back position. If you can't catch, you can't, you just don't give your offense the flexibility it needs to be successful. Um, Moving over to the Chicago Bears, we saw Tariq Cohen was back for at least one week, made a couple more uh, video game type plays. Complimented Jordan Howard extremely well. Howard looked good. The, the Lions run defense there, uh, struggling to to handle that uh, sort of two-headed monster, if if we can call anything in the Chicago Bears a monster. Where is this offense going to be, Pat, next year? Can we assume a coaching change and then an actually pretty exciting offense with a young quarterback and then these two sort of multifaceted young runners?
1: Yeah, I think we probably should assume a coaching change. I hope so, man. This is—it's just—it's you know—it's—it's it's frustrating just how kind of uh, much of a governor they have on the, the engine here for for Trubisky, who I think is done pretty well, just given what. You know they're looking for him to do. They're looking to have this conservative, low-volume offense and not turn the ball over. He has done that pretty well, and you know I think we we see this year that when you have good coaching, um, and good protection, but the Bears' line isn't too bad. Um, but when you have good coaching, you can see big jumps in quarterback play, like we've seen here with Jared Goff, uh, even Case Keenum. Um, looking looking good I mean how ridiculous is it that the two quarterbacks from Jeff Fisher's last year are both doing fantastic without him Um, not that Fox is quite as bad as Fisher but I do think if they get an offensive minded coach in there there could be a big jump with this offense obviously the big question though is going to be wide receiver Cam Meredith had um, you know a pretty serious knee injury not as serious as we originally feared Mm -hmm when he went down but unclear if he's going to be back um but you know to what he was Kema White has has been a, a nothing since he was drafted and so they'll need to bring in some better weapons here I think that's probably the the real key for Trubisky um but I would imagine that Trubisky will be dirt cheap next year um probably in in pretty much all formats you know the relative pricing for him is going to be really low so Uh, I think, you know, in deeper dynasty formats, maybe some 2QB formats, he could be interesting next year. Um, And, you know, I think if Meredith is back looking good, I wouldn't necessarily shy away if there's a coaching change and we can expect maybe a little bit more high volume. And I also think Cohen is is here to stay. I don't know that he's going to be a a fantasy force necessarily, but uh, this is what he profiled as. He profiled as a really dynamic space back. He has shown... Uh, that to be the case in the NFL, and I think you know his his size isn't really a concern for me there. I think if he's if he's doing this now, there's no reason why he can't continue to do it, particularly if the offense shifts towards a more pass heavy approach in the future. Pete, what do you think?
2: Yeah, I mean it was it was good to see that they finally started using Cohen, you know, after it was like 3 weeks of just pretty much banishing him and you would hope, you know, considering they're losing games and they're they're behind a lot that he would get that passing game work where he was really electric. So, I think you have to pray for some kind of coaching change just how you saw the 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 you know, the light switch flipped with Gurley and getting some of that passing involvement everyone finally wanted out of him. And that really supercharged his performance. I think you hope for everyone involved here, you know, something could kickstart it because you got to be, you know, happy with the the talent, what they've shown on the field.
1: Sean, what do you think of Trubisky as a quarterback? I mean, I know it's kind of hard to evaluate him given that he's, he's throwing so little. Um, but do you think that if he ended up in an, an offense that was more not even just kind of normal, but actually tilted towards the pass. uh, Do you think, you know, he could be a fantasy contributor?
3: It's just impossible to tell at this point. I was encouraged that on a couple of plays this last week, he was able to take off, scramble a little bit, pick up a first down. That mobility, I think, is key. You know, you watch the game last night with Russell Wilson, and uh, even though they're not able to come through, he just completely changed the game with that kind of mobility. Now, Trubisky doesn't have that obviously, but you know, you watch the Kansas city chiefs and Alex Smith. I mean, Alex Smith is a fantastic athlete, something that, that goes under the radar. So he had a terrible passing game. The chiefs suddenly look absolutely awful, but he extended a couple of drives, including a key late drive by launching himself into a couple of defenders knocked around in the air, you know, gets out of bounds, gets the first down. I mean, those are exciting plays and they're plays that the, the current quarterback in the NFL needs to be able to make. So Trubisky looked pretty good there. He also threw some passes this week to Adam Shaheen. So anyone who took advantage of the great depth that we had at the tight end position this year in rookie drafts, um, Shaheen, a second round pick, lots of good metrics. We projected him out pretty well, and then you know, his his snaps were okay, but he wasn't being used really at all in the passing game until the last couple of weeks. So we're starting to see a little bit of the development here that we want to see. If you use a fourth round pick to sort of stash Shaheen, you're pretty excited now that he does look like he may have a future in this offense. So they have some building blocks there, but like you said, they're going to need to get some wide receivers and just a completely different scheme if they want to to really develop him. you see what's happened with the Rams and the coaching change and what's that what that's done for Jared Goff. And I think that in a best case scenario we can see something like that with Trubisky. But you know, obviously the the Chicago brain trust has to has to make the right call in the offseason.
1: Yeah. So I, I mentioned Keenum is, you know, another beneficiary of uh not being with Jeff Fisher anymore. Let's let's move over to Minnesota they absolutely clobbered the Rams, um, and Adam Thielen has solidified himself. Um, you know, is a it's a potentially kind of top tier wide receiver, at least in kind of a mini tier behind Brown and Hopkins. Um, could this be a Super Bowl team? Like, how what's the how high could this upside uh, for this team go? Um, they certainly look like it uh, on Sunday, and can they support two elite wide receivers? Because we were expecting, you know, a, a breakout, um, you know almost elite wide receiver in Minnesota but it wasn't Adam Thielen.
2: Yeah, and I'm going to definitely defer cuz I want to hear what Sean says uh being the big Diggs guy, I want to hear his take on on how Thielen and Diggs exist going forward now that he's kind of had this kind of Thielen's had this new almost secondary breakout. Yeah, he's he's looked great. I just traded for him last week in a league where
3: you know the team is is doing well. Had a couple of 2019 firsts, Basically traded uh, a bunch of 2019 picks for Thielen, try and bring him in and, and uh, add some more talent to that roster because he's someone who, in our air yards projections, Josh Hermes Meyer before the season, you know Thielen looked very very underrated. Probably the largest gap between his projection and his ADP of any receiver out there. So I didn't get him as much as as I would have liked. I have him. In the Apex Experts League, in the last two weeks, you know he is he's carried that team um, just right up the ranks. He he looks fantastic. Looking at Eric Moody's target article today, and he points out how Thielen has averaged nine and a half targets, six point two receptions, and almost ninety two receiving yards per game this year, where Diggs is down at six point six targets, four point four receptions, and sixty six and a half receiving yards. I still love Diggs and. A lot of what's happened here is just that Diggs can't get healthy, and you hope that this doesn't sort of morph into a Jordan Reed type of thing. But I think we're still a long way for it being to that level. But there's no question that those nagging injuries are holding him back a little bit, and you know his snap numbers are down, which you know mostly he's being taken out on plays where they're not going to use him anyway. But to get those huge numbers, obviously it helps to, to play every down and, and thelan now uh, he he's really confirmed i think what he started to show last year, and at, at this point i mean he's a star he he's right there with fitzgerald they they are separating themselves in this little mini tier at wide receiver three wide receiver four behind the two stars and the concern is simply. That the quarterbacks will not be able to support either him or Diggs or both, and I think you have to get more optimistic every day. The tricky part here is, you know, Teddy Bridgewater is the, still the future of this franchise, and at some point, you know, you want to go back to him see what he can do, and and if it's a Super Bowl team, and if you could upgrade, then you make that move. But uh, there's just a lot going right with Case Keenum right now.
1: Yeah, let's and let's talk about the running back situation too, because um, you know in, in Dynasty um obviously Dalvin Cook is a big asset and and Sean I want to get into uh maybe a little bit after this the article that you just had discussing the top five dynasty running backs and how we would rank them but I believe you had Cook three still and and so I guess the, my concern with that would be how good McKinnon and and even Murray at times have looked filling in that role and and really how good the offenses looked without Cook it's it's really looked the same their rushing attack has not really been hurt by just using two guys instead of one um so where do you what do you think owners should be doing with Dalvin cook seems like you think they should still be buying him um but are you concerned at all that you know the the vikings might not feel that they need to use him in a kind of workhorse role once he returns next year well i think you've got to buy because Latavius
3: Murray, I think, got a little bit of a bad rap because I mean there's no question that he was not efficient last year. Uh Rotodoc had a tremendous article. You know, he he's got all of uh, the mathematical wizardry can show exactly what the running backs should have done and what they did do. Murray was not good in Oakland. Uh, the two the two young guys, Richard and and Washington, much better in terms of yards compared to expectation. But Murray's a big, fast guy. He's athletic. You know, he can make some plays if the plays are there to be made. And so, you know, then McKinnon, obviously, has has finally had his breakout. And unfortunately for for owners, they're cannibalizing each other a little bit here. But I, I think this can be nothing but good news for Cook because it shows that this offense is definitely capable now of supporting a running back, which, you know, there's always the very, very, very slim argument that adrian peterson was not that he was overrated by any stretch adrian peterson is one of the greatest backs to play in the nfl but that he wasn't helping his team as much as he might have if he had slightly different talents and that sort of the combination of the offensive line and his running that it really wasn't the offensive line maybe as much as it looked like well whether or not that's the case the vikings definitely have an offensive situation at this point where they can run the ball effectively and they have a quarterback situation where they incorporate the running back in the receiving game. they really what you have to have now in order to have this top end running back. Not that most people are going to ever score the way Le'Veon Bell and David Johnson did last year. But if you're going to have this star running back who wins leagues for you, they have to be a good running back. They have to be able to work in the passing game and catch quite a few passes. And then you need the goal line carries. So at this point, If you put Murray and McKinnon together, you start to get this, you know, this very exciting running back. And I think that's what Cook is, you know, better potentially at both things, maybe similar to what McKinnon brings in the receiving game. But I think he's going to be that for them. You know, if they can rest him a little bit in certain situations, then that's great. But, you know, if you can buy Cook right now, and I've been trying to sell him on some leagues where, you know, I need that guy for the final push and and swap out Cook for, uh, you know, a guy who's good this year. Uh, say Cook and a couple of pieces for Todd Gurley, I think if you are not competitive, you should make that trade. And so, it, it, you know, going both directions there, I, I think that Cook is going to be a
1: star. What about a guy who we used to think was going to be a star, uh, Sammy Watkins? Um, is obviously been a disappointing couple of years for him. And, you know, even with the Rams resurgence, Watkins has not had the resurgence that you would expect you know particularly like this is basically a best case scenario for him in the sense that he you know we thought he was going to a bad offense turns out to be a pretty good offense but um they're really just spreading the ball around not necessarily involving Watkins to the extent that that we would have thought given the talent that we thought he had when when he came out so Pete what do you what do you think about Watkins uh in terms of his long-term outlook um he's probably coming down in price now in dynasty. Are you, are you kind of starting to poke around? Are you interested at all? I'm actually the opposite in that. I recently traded
2: my only, uh, Sammy Watkins share, uh, in a dynasty league. Uh, Carl Safchick actually came around knocking for him. I was trying to pull up the exact particulars, but it involved getting, uh, Demarius Thomas and Chris Thompson, obviously the, uh, the Chris Tom oh and An Perryman was was in that deal as well so yeah I ended up cashing out Watkins for De'Marius Thomas, Chris Thompson and Brashad Perryman and I just felt like that was a good enough package to to move off of him I I think you know yeah th- there's always the chance that he kind of fully realizes what we've seen him flash but you you got to wonder you know we're all excited about how the Rams were able to turn things around this year. And if you, if you told anyone before the season, you know, golf is going to look better. This offense is going to look more dynamic. They're going to open it up. I think everyone would have assumed that Watkins would have been a good part of that. And I think you have to wonder and start to point to the, <laughs> the, the warning signs of, okay, Cooper cup is, is a, a favorite target underneath here. Robert Woods looks like the clear number one and has been doing great. You know, where is his spot in this offense, much less as, you know, the, the bona fide number one wide receiver that we all wanted him to be so I was willing to get off of him but I don't necessarily hate if you can be on the other side of that and get him really cheap still we know the pedigree but I was ready to move on were you able to immediately then spin Perryman for uh, a player
3: to help you with your playoff push
2: no, I haven't. And that's partly just me not being as active of an owner as I should have been. And also deep down being still a, a pyramid truther, I guess, if you will. Uh, but yeah, that would have probably been the sharp move.
3: Did you, did you go through on his pro day and uh, hand time it yourself and then extrapolate <laughs> out to, to see if that four two two was accurate?
2: I actually just closed my eyes and, and plug, you know, my ears and just tell everybody that I actually ran a 4-1. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know it's, uh, I, I have him even on a couple other dynasty leagues on taxi squads. I mean, it's, uh, it, it doesn't seem to be happening there either, but I thought as far as a, a throw in, obviously now with his stuff and Chris Thompson going on IR, it's, uh, doesn't look quite as good, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a long time carrying Sammy and not having much to show for it.
3: Pat on Watkins here. He's been one of the guys where, again, you look at the by low machine, a month ago, and it says you know sell if you possibly can. They're not looking at a good stretch for opposing defenses, and then Watkins in particular has been someone who is drawing some of these these top cover corners. So if if you go into you know your DFS picks every week and you're really looking at those wide receiver cornerback matchups, he's someone you probably stayed away with away from. At the same time, you know you saw DeAndre Hopkins this this weekend really look great against Patrick Peterson. And it wasn't so much that Peterson played poorly as that Hawkins is just that good. Even with Savage do the Rams, especially now that the woods may be a little bit banged up and then considering that when they played a defense like Minnesota, they got bottled up. Do they need to start taking some shots to Watkins and seeing what they have?
1: I think so. I think they should be, but I don't know that they will. I mean, you're you're kind of comparing Watkins to to Hopkins a little bit um the, the Watkins hasn't had more than uh seven targets all season um he hasn't had five targets since week seven um Hopkins you know he had only nine targets last year that was the first time in four weeks that he hadn't had at least 11 targets so it's just a huge difference in terms of the volume that these guys are getting you know Watkins could basically double his volume; he still wouldn't be getting the volume that Hopkins is. Um, so I do think that they should be involving him a little bit more, particularly because I think he's he's the best wide receiver on their team. But he hasn't he hasn't necessarily looked like that since coming over, and they're not necessarily well they definitely aren't featuring him as if that's the case. So um, I I think I would like to see them get get him more involved, but it's just hard for me to really. Say with any certainty whether or not that'll happen.
3: It does seem like a bad sign that on two different offenses now, uh, both of which have been fairly functional. The Bills, (laughs) ignoring the, the craziness that they did this last week, you know, under Tyrod Taylor, they have been a fairly functional offense. The Rams this year, moving the ball, scoring a ton of points, and in both cases, Watkins has been more of a deep threat than any sort of volume hog. and And while it's way too early to give up on him, still, that does seem like a little bit of a red flag. Speaking in terms of players who uh, people might be giving up on too early, I think it's really difficult when you see players like Kareem Hunt and Alvin Kamara just explode out of the blocks uh, to not then be very disappointed by the players who don't. A lot of drafters in redraft, but certainly in rookie drafts, selected Samajé Pirine in the same general area. And up until this last week, he looked like someone who was just completely a product of Oklahoma's offense. This is his last game. Uh, is this an encouraging sign? I mean, obviously it's encouraging, but but what should we take from what looked to be something of a breakout game for him with
1: washington my concern with with p ryan is you know kind of what you've been saying sean is just lack of involvement in the passing game so uh you know this was a big game for him he had uh, 117 yards and a touchdown this past week but just two targets so you know and this is with chris thompson being out so it's uh it's just hard for me to really get excited about p ryan um I didn't end up with any p Ryan in dynasty sort of for the same reason i I thought he was going a little bit expensive given kind of a limited skill set um but i you know i I would maybe be at this point starting to dangle him around and see what I could get back if if people are starting to think, okay well, I'll have a running back down the stretch that can help me out, and maybe he's starting to emerge so I'm actually not um really buying this because I think the limited skill set is a concern. And I guess I'm also curious, you know, we've seen Joe Mixon not really deliver the way we would have expected there in Cincinnati, and certainly that could be a product of his situation. Uh, But he has not been efficient, and he's also not necessarily locked down the workload like I think uh, a lot of people, myself included, would have thought uh, by this point in the season. So given that, you know, P. Ryan and Mixon kind of kept each other off, you know, off the field or, or sort of prevented one of those backs from uh, clearly taking over the Oklahoma backfield. In my mind, I, I wonder if, if, you know, in those types of situations, if maybe the their skill sets are sort of correlated, if that makes sense. You know, if one of them was clearly better than the other, we would assume that the Oklahoma coaching staff probably would have seen that. So um, does the fact that both have disappointed, you know, make you feel like maybe both, were a little bit overrated and we weren't, um, we weren't seeing that because, you know, they they had, they had kept each other off the field, but we had attributed them, that to them both being good, um, you know, rather than it's possible that maybe neither one was good enough to really take a hold of that backfield. Sean, do you, do you think there's any truth to that?
3: Well, I think it's tricky. Because we we all know that in college football, the talent tends to be clustered on this handful of teams, and Oklahoma is definitely one of those. So there's no reason that two of the best running backs in all of college football couldn't be on Oklahoma. At the same time, there aren't that many stars at the NFL level. And so if you're not clearly better than your teammate in college, then I think that has to be at least a little bit of a red flag, especially for someone like P. Ryan, who then didn't perform well in the offseason and came in with a very low score on Kevin Cole's running back success model. And, you know, you always have to put those things in, a, in context. You know, I don't draft completely off of that, but that factors into my thinking strongly when when I'm on the clock. And so, you know, I would look for P Ryan to really fall before I would want to snap him up there. I do think this is a situation where we could be seeing a little bit of the Alabama effect, where you have, you know, Trent Richardson, Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon, Derek Henry, uh, those guys are not all stars. There was never a point in which they were all going to be stars. And yet the assumption because of the offense they were playing in, the offensive line they were running behind, that that they were all that good. And then, you know, you look at some of their athletic numbers and they just don't have the profile. Certainly not all of them have the profiles of a true NFL star. So when they're being drafted in the first round, drafted in the second round, you know, th- those are reaches. Right. You can't just say that this guy's on the national champion and, and made some plays in the national championship game. You know, we're going to draft him. Pete, Mixon is obviously one of those polarizing guys this last week. Um, there was an incredible play. I, I was, it, It's so easy to be frustrated by things that, that don't go right. And yet we see fantastic feats of athleticism examples of incredible effort every week this last week I was watching the one of the last games I've watched um, because the Denver Broncos are maybe the least interesting team in the NFL at this point you know obviously just scapegoated their offensive coordinator but they commit a turnover down there on the Bengals goal line defensive back is is running it back uh, Drake Kirkpatrick, i believe he's he's 10 yards clear of emmanuel sanders and demarius thomas and they chase him the entire way and at about the 10 he runs out of gas from running so hard to try and stay ahead of those guys they, they've gotten <laughs> to within like two yards of him at this point that he he just fumbles the ball up into the air untouched makes a very athletic play to actually grab it again gets tackled at the one All three of those guys lay down on the ground uh, like they just got done running a marathon. And then the Bengals have a couple of goal line carries. Mixon gets thrown back twice. So great effort by Thomas and Sanders. Mixon can't capitalize. He looks pretty bad, doesn't he?
2: Yeah. And I can't, you know, I've, I've followed Josh Hermsmeyer on Twitter and I've seen enough. He's the second coming of TJ Yeldon uh, tweets to have that color my, uh, my thoughts every time I, I watch him or, or think about him. But yeah, I, I, I don't think you can come away from how he's performed and, and be anything less than, uh, underwhelmed or, or disappointed, especially when a lot of the comps coming in were, you know, how versatile and agile he was. I know people were tossing around Le'Veon Bell a lot as a comp and you certainly don't see that kind of patience or agility in his, in his running right now. So yeah, then the question is, you know, does he, does he need more time getting familiar in the NFL or is he a a lower ceiling type play uh, as Josh might be inferring with those uh, TJ Yeldon comps?
1: I guess my biggest question with Mixon would be, you know how committed do we think the Bengals are going to be to him next year cuz if they're entering the season with the idea that he's going to be their feature back and he's a lot cheaper than some of the other running backs you know that that are rookies this year then i think i'm going to be kind of actually willing to to really jump back in on him pretty hard in redraft i think a dynasty you know he came at such a steep price and and now it, it might be harder to pry him away. Um, I, I doubt like you're going to be able to get him for all that cheap in Dynasty, but in redraft next year, um, I think it's, for me, it's just a matter of how committed the Bengals are going to look. What, what do you think about that, Sean?
3: Well, I was, I was talking with Hassan earlier today, and uh, you know he was mentioning that Mixon might be next year's Melvin Gordon from the perspective of this, you know, formerly very highly thought of running back who maybe drops into the sixth, seventh, eighth round of drafts because of just, you know, how awful his rookie season has been. Now I don't think that that's going to happen because, you know, Melvin Gordon was, was bad as a rookie. So it, and I think that the people tend to turn on the players even more when the expectations were as high as they were for Gordon. And then especially Gordon was a very polarizing player coming in because of the comparisons with Todd Gurley and a lot of people feeling like he wasn't anywhere close. While well, there were certainly a handful of us who thought that he was actually the better of the two players. Now they've both gone on to, to be you know, very, very, very good fantasy performers. With Mixon, I think it really comes down to what the Bengals are able to do. I, Andy Dalton is someone... I like not even necessarily to own, but I always think that he is going to be someone who's good to own. And I always shy away from those players a little bit, just because I think my own personal bias is coming into play. And unfortunately, I did this year because he has been, he's been awful and the Bengals don't look good on offense. They've had the injuries with John Ross and then he's healthy has not been a factor. Obviously a guy that we really liked who, uh, you know, seemed like he could be a a Jarvis Landry, Keenan Allen, you know, a poor man's version of them. Speaking here of of Tyler Boyd, he's been injured or, you know, deep in the doghouse all season. And so this, this compliment to AJ Green that we were expecting, you know, Tyler Eifert also gone uh, hasn't happened. So instead of having all of these weapons, Andy Dalton has just AJ Green again and their offense doesn't move. And so, you know, you don't have that context that allows for high scoring from the running back. I think if Mixon breaks out next year, it's going to require that entire offense to shift around and, and and be a bunch more dynamic group for everyone. So I think there are a lot of different pieces that have to fit into place and be a lot better next year in order for that to be uh, the type of value play we would like to see. But certainly, you know, just just like we talk about every year, if he falls into that six, seven range, then I think you have to have at least a little bit of ownership just because of, of what the upside is going to be for a potential bell cow running back.
1: All right, Pete, last time you were on the show, kind of had a little bit of an expose here uh, on you as a, as a secret Patriots fan. So got to go to uh, the (laughs) Patriots running back situation. And if if nothing else, you certainly are, were a, uh, a Rex Burkhead truther this year. So I do feel like, Regardless of whether or not you're you're willing to admit your your uh, fan loyalties, you should have something to say about what we can expect down the stretch here for the Patriots running backs. Um, Rex Burkhead has been coming on here, um, obviously uh, didn't have the the big week we were kind of hoping for, but um, what do you think we can expect for the rest of this year?
2: Well, first of all, thank you, yeah, for acknowledging my fandom. I actually stayed with the Patriots after their game in Denver. I went up to the Air Force Academy with them. I've been following their practices and then and then made it down to Mexico City. So it's been a really exciting adventurous few for weeks you. for us diehard Patriots fans. Yeah, yeah. Lots of travel out of the country, you know, Azteca Stadium. It was great to see. But yeah, I'll tell you, you know, kind of what I've been seeing uh with my own eyes up close uh with Burkett. No. But yes, I do you know, everyone saw the fumble in the game that the, you know, the Patriots still recovered, but His playing time took a hit and you know a lot of people want to point to you know that's why you can't ever play Patriots running backs or that's why you can't trust them and I think there's probably going to be a big overcorrection maybe in say DFS and ownership percentage and then just in in general perception of him and for season-long leagues that he's now unusable and stuff but you know JJ Zacharyson had a really good tweet earlier today about James White's snap counts and you know weeks one through six when when Burkhead was hurt he played uh, you know, fewer than 40% of the snaps. And then when Burkhead came back, you know, his snaps are down to 31, 23, 16, 28%. So, You know, Burkhead is really kind of cannibalizing, you know, taking a little bit from White's role and a little bit from Dion's role and then getting a little bit of his own too. So I think there's still a lot to be excited about with Rex Burkhead down the stretch. And yeah, as long as he's not fumbling in games, uh, You know, I would say my biggest concern isn't necessarily James White, but just how well Deion Lewis has looked. And it does seem like Deion Lewis is getting those goal line carries, which are going to be super valuable as the Patriots seem to be, you know, beating teams more handily here. So... Yeah, that's the question to me is, you know, can Burkhead score touchdowns if he's if they're not passes, which, you know, we've we've seen him do really well. So I'm excited about him. I'm not quite sure what the ceiling is uh, down the stretch, you know, if he can be the quote unquote league winner, but I still think he's going to be a, a valuable asset.
3: Okay, just to sort of finish us up for today. Like I said, I'm going to now go into withdrawal on my Pete Overset uh diary of a high stakes uh, future champion i think (laughs) is the more accurate title for that give me three guys that you know now you're eliminated looking to next year next year is the year three middle round picks you guys have to have for the team next season
2: wow this is uh yeah interesting trying to project uh, future adp i will just say because i was reviewing our article from last year when we got bounced out the guy we were really excited about the following year and I, pat had written him up was can mm-hmm. we get cj ProSize at a discount which we definitely got him at a discount this year and uh that didn't work out too well so i'm just thinking of whoever we say right now is going to officially get the Fantasyland kiss of death pat do you have anyone you're already eyeing for next year
1: well, I think, you know, maybe Mixon in the sixth would be the, the guy that jumps out. I think that's a possibility that he's there. We discussed the reasons for that. And, you know, I think um, we're going to be, I, you know, I am I am fully in on, on going zero running back again, which would mean that, you know, that sixth round pick might be where we're starting to look at running back for our RB1. So, hopefully you know, mixing can close out the season here real shitty so that, you know, we can get him in that, in that mid round stretch where, um, you know, some of the disappointing running backs with good workload have gone in the past.
2: Yeah. And I'll say another guy that, you know, we've all had big hopes for and and things have been a little hectic around the Browns franchise, but Duke Johnson, you know, on a week to week basis seems to, get it done, whether, you know, it's through, well, it's mainly through the passing game and I'd still love to see what he could do uh, with a full workload there. And you just wonder uh, again, with, with coaching stuff and changes and how they're, you know, stockpiling picks. And, you know, if we ever saw the guys like Najoku like Duke Johnson kind of get fully unleashed, I think Duke Johnson is another good speculative zero RB pick that could um you know pay off a few rounds higher than than where he he will probably go
1: yeah Tevin Coleman was a was a fun one to to own this year in a way he didn't really pay off for us um but you know he was able to provide us flexible value for most of the season and then um really startable value in the one game here where Freeman didn't play so I think is as a guy who's usable with some huge contingent value, I think Coleman is someone I'd, I'd like to get, you know, maybe as an RB2 there and something like the seventh round. So uh, that'd be another guy.
3: Any special connection to guys you had on the team this season, like Aaron Jones, Kenyon Drake?
2: Yeah, one guy that I've... I I won't say pounded the table because it was like our 17th round pick, but I really like Paul Richardson. Uh, Whenever I watch him play, he's just one of those guys that, you know, with how well he does with contested catches, he's just a fun player to watch. So I will say my affinity for for Paul Richardson continues uh, to grow.
3: Awesome. Well, like I said, next year is the year. I think that third team uh, will certainly – take you guys to the title and i i can barely wait for the fantasy land coverage of you know championship weekend <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's right otherwise i don't know how many more crying jordans can fit on one photoshopped image of our faces
1: <laughs> all right people well, thanks so much for coming on everyone make sure to follow pete on twitter at peter overzet and we'll uh, hope to get you on sometime again soon
2: Yeah, and uh, by the way, just don't forget the Patriots have a home game this week uh, against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, We're all really excited about that out here in uh, Patriots Nation. So be sure to check out (laughs) the Pats.
1: Thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio, the flagship RotoViz podcast. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established RotoViz Radio feed. Contact us via email, rotovizradio at gmail.com, and follow us on Twitter. At Rotoviz Radio. And remember, you can always support the pod by subscribing to Rotoviz at a 30% discount through the Rotoviz Radio homepage, slash radio.
3: Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn.
0: Tell people to stay off the lawn, compare it to your neighbor's lawn, and complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance, which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Johnny got a toy golf set when he was three, and from that day on, he was hooked. All he wanted to do was golf, golf, golf. He'd be on the links before school, after school. All he ever wanted was to go pro. And then, one day, when he was holding his grandson and thinking about his 12 handicap, Johnny realized it just might not happen for him. But you know what did happen for him? He switched to Geico and saved a bunch of money on car insurance. So that was good, and so was hanging out with his grandson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings